0: Welcome to Anything is Potable, the Boston Celtics podcast here on The Athletic Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined by Beat Reporter for The Athletic, covering your Boston Celtics, the kid, the legend, the god, self-appointed for all those titles, Jay King. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing glorious. Just sitting in my bedroom, wearing some slippers. And very comfortable Living life It's, trade, the it's trade deadline life Yes,
0: yeah, so we quickly transitioned from uh, Super Bowl right into trade deadline Woj dropping clink capella bombs Left and right um, First we are anything is potable uh, Please subscribe to us On iTunes, Spotify, wherever getting your podcasts And because the people Wanted more potable We're giving the people more potable We used to do one free episode a week One behind the paywall No, no we care about the people. We know you want to hear our takes. Boom! Two free episodes a week. So we're giving you double the pleasure, double the fun. Um, today we're going to be talking about, obviously, the Celtics are on a roll, playing some good basketball, uh, solid win against the Sixers, and then as we mentioned, uh, we got to talk about the trade deadline. It's coming up on Thursday. Uh, We've got a lot of listener questions, and so we'll dive into those about their crazy trade deals. Uh, then we got some more wackier questions that we'll dive into Uh, but first Celtics are playing pretty well. Uh, the win against the Sixers uh, was pretty surprising to me, mostly because the last time the Sixers and Celtics played in Boston, Joel Embiid had probably the best game I've ever seen him play. And on Saturday, it was one of the worst games I've ever seen him play. And I think the Celtics deserve a lot of credit for not making him comfortable, but I don't know if he had uh, the bubble guts again or like what was going on, but he did not look good.
1: The Sixers are 9-18 and 18 on the road, which is wild. Like, for a, for a team that good, that talented, to be 9-18 and 18 on the road is just bonkers. They went and got smacked by the Heat right after losing to the Celtics in Boston. The Celtics, it was certainly a promising showing against Embiid. Uh, I'm not going to act like I'm sitting here and saying they would certainly shut him down in a playoff series or that they would certainly roll the Sixers in a playoff series or anything like that because nothing is conclusive. But I thought Tice Tice did a lot of his work early, didn't let Embiid, after literally the first play of the game, get any touches right near the rim, which is huge against him. The Celtics were swarming. They doubled. They kept Embiid off balance. They were able to guard the arc and shut down Embiid, which is key. When you're guarding the Sixers, Sixers have some issues and the Celtics, despite all their their lack of size and all the questions about them, they have gotten a lot out of their centers this season. I thought it was interesting in that game, especially like they put Tice against Embiid. Like whenever Embiid was on the court, Tice was on the court. And obviously, Celtics didn't have Cantor, who was out, and Robert Williams, who was out. But Tice has always been the guy who gets punished by huge dudes. And yeah. he hasn't been getting punished by big dudes much this year. The Embiid one was really the only time that he's really gotten gotten pulverized. And obviously, the, the most recent Embiid one this this weekend, Tice, Tice more than held his own. And I, I think that was a promising sign for the Celtics. And one that could hold a little bit of weight as as they kind of evaluate where they are heading into the trade deadline.
0: The thing that was interesting about that game is like uh when the Sixers were on offense, they just looked kind of confused. The spacing was not great and like they really didn't punish the Celtics with their size. Uh and then on the other end of the court, it felt like the Sixers were almost too big and that the the Celtics quickness was really an advantage for them where they were just blowing by um they got out Horford a couple times. Jalen Brown had those nice moves on Tybal, but it just like the, the Celtics wings uh, who really have seemed to come into their own. Um, I know you wrote things recently about kind of the best uh, three person pairings on the team. Um, it felt like it was all Gordon Hayward and uh, a wing and then sometimes Tyson and then sometimes two wings. It's just like, they feel like the Celtics wings are, Um, are really coming into their own, and Tice was definitely a big part of that. You also wrote uh, for The Athletic a very kind of interesting profile uh, of Daniel Tice, um, where if you want to read that, you can subscribe uh, to The Athletic, theathletic.com slash anything is potable, 40% off. Read the great Jay King's work. Um, But it's like the fact that the Sixers game came in this time frame, like right before the deadline, is interesting because the kind of the narrative is that this team needs more size. And like a lot of the people they've been connected to, um, Clint Capella is one of them is like the Celtics need more size for exactly this matchup. Um, but like when you kind of explored Tice with the numbers and kind of talking to people, you found that like, you you know, he's playing pretty well. And maybe this like, they don't need to like sacrifice anything to go get a big.
1: And if you are sacrificing to go get a big, to play against the Sixers, I don't know. Like the Sixers, they may not they may just not have it this year. They they may not have a mix that works. Then no matter how good, how big Joel Embiid is, they may not have a roster that makes enough sense to make a lot of noise in the playoffs. Now I'm am I saying the Celtics would definitely beat them? Absolutely not. The Sixers are capable. The Sixers are talented. They have a lot of pieces, but it just things just haven't worked well for them so far. They they've had a lot of flaws. And that's one thing for Boston to keep in mind as the trade deadline comes. Um, One thing that I I think matters a lot for this Celtics team is that with Jalen Brown ironing out some of his issues, driving the basketball and being more patient and being more willing as a passer and being better as a finisher, and with Gordon Hayward getting back his athleticism and with Jason Tatum continuing to evolve, when they have those three guys on the court, it's just really hard for power forwards to guard people. Like, you normally have to have your best wing on Jason Tatum or Gordon Hayward, and then Jalen Brown. Like, he's he's a matchup problem for even a guy like Al Horford, who's a very good defender. Brown is just way quicker than a lot of the guys who guard him. And now that he's got a better handle, and now that he's able to Lower his shoulder and just
0: like get to the rim. He did that a couple times against the Hawks, and it was just like, oh wow! It was like he was just being guarded one on one. He's like, all right, I'm gonna drive now, and no one really stopped him from getting to the rim. It was is something that's definitely new to his game, and it was impressive.
1: Yeah, when those three guys are all healthy, it's just really, really tough to match up against all of them because they're all big enough, quick enough, and can shoot well enough to be matchup issues against a lot of different types of players so they can beat you in a lot of different types of ways and I think the the more that that those three play together the more they've shown themselves as being problems for a lot of different opponents
0: and the thing about the Celtics where it's like to me it makes less sense to trade for kind of that the traditional pick and roll kind of plotting big men is that the thing that I think is like so strong about their team right now is that they have um, a bunch of different looks that they can throw at you. And I think that's where Stevens is kind of uh, at his best is kind of adjusting his personnel to um, the team that they're playing. And so if the Sixers, I, I, we kind of understand we've discussed a bunch of the Embiid matchup, but um, something interesting that's kind of come up recently is um, when you were mentioning all the centers before we didn't bring up basically uh, the new super switchable, strong uh, boy lineup of uh, Grant Williams and Semi Uh who um, we've we've seen some, some more of it recently. Brad's talked about what he likes from it. It's just switchable. You can switch basically one through five, um, but not really give up that much uh, kind of strength or like points in the paint just because Grant and Semi or Shemi are so strong. And so it's just an interesting look where they have kind of different personnel for different matchups. And so... To be able to have that kind of super switchable Grant and Semi Shemmy lineup, but then also have Cantor when he's healthy, Tice playing that the way he is when he's ticey, and Time Lord maybe coming back. I just feels like they, they have like enough enough depth to kind of mix and match against whatever matchup it is. Um it's just a question of like whether or not those guys can get healthy in time for have enough like reps so they're kind of workable in the playoffs.
1: Let's talk about Capella. Oh uh, yeah, let's, let's let's hear it. Let's talk about Capella because everyone wants to talk about Capella right now. I am getting tweets about Capella constantly. Uh, My my brothers are texting me about Capella. Some of my friends are texting me about Capella. Capella is the topic of conversation. I got a question for you. Okay. You you're you. I will give this to you, Jay. You know more about
0: the league and NBA basketball than I do. I am a professional Celtics fan. I follow the Celtics. Shouts to me. Shouts Shouts to to you for being uh, knowledgeable. Is Clint Capella even good? Yeah. Or is he just a guy absolutely. who gets to
1: play with... Uh, uh, Is he just James Harden's role man? He's 25 years old. He's averaging 14 and 14. He's one of the better offensive rebounders in basketball. One of the better rebounders total in basketball. He's two inches taller and quite a bit stronger than Daniel Tice. And he can move his feet and guard guards. So yes, he is very, very good... All right, mm-hmm. that was an easy, good,
0: good answer to that question. Now the question is, if you were the Celtics, and this kind of goes to, well, we can start dabbling into the the listener gods questions, uh, so I'll try to intertwine those here. From at Caleb Pen- Pendleton, um, what is the most valuable trade piece the Celtics would realistically give up as part of a deal for someone like Capella or another bench shooter? So... I mean, if you look at Rockets Twitter, they're talking about like Jalen Brown and uh, Jason Tatum being potential targets. That doesn't make any sense to me. I think the real question is, do you include Marcus Smart in his deals like that or is it strictly
1: kind of Canter Tice, and like filler pieces? I think what's really interesting is one of the questions about the Celtics entering the trade deadline is how willing Danny Ainge will be to trade his first-round draft picks. Now, they will probably have three this year, the Memphis pick, the Milwaukee pick, and their own pick. And they don't have much room on their roster to keep rookies next year unless they consolidate things. And will that make Danny Ainge more aggressive on the market using one of those picks, two of those picks to go after bench help? That's what I thought a couple he, years he, ago, but, but then he just ended up like
0: drafting, stashing people.
1: But but he, here's here's one of the differences I think is that a couple of years ago, the Celtics weren't this good. This is the best team of the Brad Stevens era, and Ooh. and it's a team that doesn't have the Warriors in the Western Conference like looming over everything, and it doesn't have LeBron in the Eastern Conference. Looming over everything. Obviously, Giannis and the Bucks have been. It does leaders. have the Bucks, or like the statistically the best team ever. Yes, regular season. <laughs> yes, they have been ridiculous. I agree, but you don't. I don't think teams look at the Bucks as like an invincible force. They don't have Kevin Durant, Stephen Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green. They have Giannis and Chris Milton and a bunch of good players, but it's not. They're not like loaded up with talent like like the Warriors were or like some other teams have been. They're just not seen as invincible. So I, I do wonder how aggressive Ainge will be with, with those draft picks. And I think, you know, if, if he does get bench help, if he does go after Capella, I think his willingness to to deal at least one or two of those first round picks will be essential. Then you, then all of a sudden you unlock a different caliber of player a player that could actually maybe crack the Celtics playoff rotation and give them, have, have a chance to, to give them a boost, whether it's in shooting or size or whatever else may be. I, that's, that's one of the questions I think that is going to define this trade deadline for Boston.
0: And I think the question, I think that you clearly are not trying to touch like the current top five. It's basically trying to add to that, with someone who might be able to put you over the top. I don't know about, like, how the Celtics match up against the Bucks. whether or not Clint Capella is that guy. I think he would be, uh, like, a, a solid player. But are you willing to give up, I mean, just to make the money work? Well, there's a crazy, like, four-team deal in talks now with uh, the Timberwolves trying to get D'Angelo Russell, but who knows what's going to happen. But it's like, are you willing to give up? You'd probably have to give up at least one of the centers, if not to and Shemi and maybe like Romeo Langford in addition to those picks? Or is it like, I feel like Capella's on the high end just because of like, he does have that value. Or does it make more sense to go after um, kind of, I know you've been on the uh, the bench scoring shooting train. Um, Does it make more sense to kind of go after someone who would be, uh, doesn't necessarily have to be a big, just someone who can, you know, make a three.
1: Yeah, I, I think those are those are the questions Ainge, Ainge will stay awake thinking about. I think three-point shooting is the most pressing need for the Celtics. I think that need will be limited to some extent as long as they're healthy in the playoffs because Stevens has five players that are going to play the bulk of the minutes. Six, probably, if you include Daniel Tice, once the playoffs hit. And everybody else is just going to be used for short spurts. Everybody else is just going to be used for certain situations. And so they they won't have the, like, just egregious offensive lineups that they play sometimes with, like, three or four non-shooters, non-dribblers, whatever. They won't have that during the playoffs as long as they're healthy. But I still think they could use, like, like a stretch big or, like, just a – guy who comes in and and just gets buckets because they don't really have that off the bench well that leads
0: into our next question from joey angus he wants us to discuss as that guy who comes in and gets buckets uh davis bertans what do you think the wizards would want from the celtics and what would they be willing to give up and he also asked if there's a chance of uh, isaiah thomas coming back i'm just going to squash that right there uh no but davis bertans as a a kind of three-point score off the bench um i mean i know i i heard uh, in listening to other podcasts that the wizards might be buyers at the deadline which makes no sense to me but what do you think of him as his fit kind of uh on the Celtics as a as a kind of a he's he can shoot the three point ball he's quite good at that
1: yeah i mean he's he's putting together one of the most ridiculous shooting seasons the nba has ever seen he's shooting 42.9% on like something like 11 threes per 36 minutes, which ten point three threes per 36 minutes. I just looked it up, which is insane. Like that's Steph Curry type numbers. That is, that just doesn't happen. And especially it doesn't happen from power forward. He is a game changing shooter. Now the wizards know that. And so do other teams. And so the market for him will be robust, I suspect. And the wizards will have to balance whether they want to try to keep him. But he is a free agent at the end of the season, I believe, and and he should have a, a bunch of teams that look at him like, okay, this guy could could really make a difference for us, whether it's Philly or. Is Boston he is he first or, round
0: pick worthy? Is he like? Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I I Mem- think Memphis pick worthy. See now you're getting into questions. Like do do they want to pay him long term? Do they how do they see this summer going? Those are some questions I don't have answers to. I do know that he's a difference making big man and a difference making outside shooter as a big man. And I do know that he fits the mold of a player that could really help the Celtics if they acquire him.
0: All right, I'm going to just run through some quick names that people have brought up. I'm sorry if I don't yet say you're at, but we got to at least Vinny Sexpants. Uh, this guy's actual handle is Vinny Sexpants, so I got to get his question in. He's asking about um, a number of different players actually on the Kings who have kind of come up in uh, trade talks uh, Bialica, Bogdanovich, um, those guys more of the three point shooting. He also asked about Rashawn Holmes. What are your thoughts on, um, and I guess that's the threshold, is like, are they first-round pick worthy? Would you give up a first-round pick for uh, the Sacramento Bogdanovich?
1: I mean, Bogdanovich is really good. I think the Kings know that he's really good. I think his con- next contract would be an issue for Boston if they intend to keep Hayward around or if they think that Hayward's going to stick around because the salary in Boston is going to get grow very big. Jalen Brown has already signed an extension. Jason Tatum, I imagine he's not far from signing an extension or signing a longer term deal with Boston. Campbell Walker already on a max contract. Like the Celtics are gonna have enormous salary implications if if they sign a guy who's gonna hit free agency and and be worth, you know, more than mid level money. And But how much are you is.
0: how much are you worrying about like the future, like it feels like, if you're giving up first-round picks, you're making a run for this
1: year, and then you kind of. But, but does Bogdanovich make you a, win you a championship this year? And I'm asking you that question. W- what, what is what is he uh, on the Celtics like seventh man? Yeah, he's a
0: guy Eighth who comes man? off the bench and knocks down and shots.
1: Obviously, he's a difference maker. Obviously, he's he's good. Uh, I just think as as a front office, you have to think more about more than just about does this guy help our team? It's how much would you give up for him? How much would you end up paying him? How much would that hamper the rest of your roster construction over the next how many, however many years?
0: Well, the more I, you I, ask those questions, the more me like makes me think like is it really worth it to get another guy who you mentioned in the playoff like the playoff rotation is going to be six guys? Maybe uh, who get the majority of minutes. Then you might see some, uh, some Grant and some Brad Wanamaker. Um, but it seems like when Brad, uh, Brad really wants to win a game, uh, he really shortens that rotation. Is upgrading the seventh or eighth piece really going to be the difference? Or is it just going to be like whether or not those kind of top five guys are healthy? Like, is it worth giving up any assets when it feels like the team's performance is entirely dependent on just like the health of those top five?
1: I think it depends on what type of player they get. Obviously, Bogdanovich would be a difference maker. Bertans would be a difference maker. Like Those are guys who could, who could maybe really give you a boost in ways that the Celtics need a boost. The one thing I think is just a variable that I don't think anyone has an answer to right now is the Gordon Hayward situation. He can opt out of his contract this summer and become a free agent. Huge salary cap implications if he does opt out or opt in. Huge, huge implications on every front. And it's a decision the Celtics have no control over. I don't think, I certainly don't think that they they will trade Gordon Hayward. But his, his situation is just a variable for them and could impact whatever decisions they have on other players. So that, uh, the Gordon Hayward thing is interesting. If you had to
0: guess right now, I know you do not like making predictions, but do you think he opts in or opts out? He
1: feels like he's been playing pretty well as of late. I'll Um, stick stick with a prediction I made earlier this season that he opts out and signs a longer term deal with the Celtics to get a little more stability. Ooh. So that makes
0: them more flexible, but they obviously like don't have any, like they might have some private indications of what he's going to do, but that's not, uh, you can't bank on that because if a player tells you something, he might announce it in front of the entire stadium, but that, that doesn't mean he's going to do that. (laughs) That
1: that is true. A a lot can happen in an NBA season as the Celtics very much learned in 2018,
0: 19. All right. We got another question from at green Kaizen love the handle. He said, interested to hear your thoughts on how shipping any of the players out would impact the locker room vibes. I think it's a pretty decent question just because being around this team, especially compared to last year's team, which we just talked about, uh, it feels like the the team likes each other and enjoys playing with each other, and um, I think your answer is going to be, well, if, it can, like, if you can win a championship, screw the locker room vibes, but... After experiencing such a shitty locker room the year before, I think it's like definitely something that they like will have to consider. And right now, it seems like the team is, uh, like if you were playing two K, the chemistry rating would be uh like ninety five percent. It seems like they're they're doing things well, especially on this recent run. Do you risk kind of messing that up by getting rid of some guys like Shemi or Vinny or I don't know? How much does that kind of mess the locker room up?
1: I've been. Mean- One of the reasons I think that the chemistry is so much better is that the players are all happy with their roles. And like that, that was why things went so haywire last year was because for whatever reason, for various reasons, almost everybody was unhappy with their own personal situation. And it just caused a dysfunctional situation and, not everybody handled that well. Some guys handled it a lot worse than others. Some guys <laughs> brought it public, and then <laughs> everyone knew about some of the issues. Um, but to me, like as long as you, as long as guys are still happy with their roles, then I don't think whatever move you make with like an end of bench guy to go out and acquire some more help is going to make a huge difference on the chemistry. I, I I just don't, because I, I think all the guys that really matter and all the guys that are like the biggest locker room influences, I think those guys are happy and will probably continue to be happy with what they're doing and what the team is doing.
0: Yeah, that was the point I was going to make. It's like if you don't touch the top five guys, like their moods because they're the top five guys dictates like what's going on in the locker room and they're. Like, sure, they'll be upset, like, if their friends are not there, but, like, if, as long as they're happy and still winning basketball, that kind of cures everything. The problem last year was that uh, the top guys were upset. Um, I think final kind of, in terms of hard, serious basketball questions, we've already kind of talked about this a little bit, um, but uh, what do you think, basically, it's like, do you think Grant Williams gets uh, has, like, kind of proven himself enough to be in the
1: playoff rotation? So I, I think the, the playoff rotation will probably be eight or nine guys on any given night, right? It'll be the five best players. It'll be Daniel Tice. It'll be some combination of Grant Williams, Shemmy Ojale, Brad Wanamaker, Ennis Cantor, and Robert Williams. Depending on situation, depending on matchups, depending on who's playing well. I I think like when you actually put the minutes together, I imagine smart and all the four starting perimeter guys will play upwards of 30 minutes per game in the playoffs as long as they're healthy. I think Walker and Tatum will probably play about 37 minutes per game, which is on par with like what Kyrie played last year and what some of the Celtics' best players have played in past playoff series or past playoff runs. and. I think they'll just rely so heavily on those five guys that there just won't be much room for anybody else. Grant Williams has certainly put himself in that conversation. But again, it all depends on matchups. Depends on what the Celtics need. Do they need more shooting? Do they need more playmaking? Not exactly Grant's thing, but he's proven himself useful and he's played really well lately.
0: I agree. I mean, it feels super matchup dependent, um, but I think he's certainly past the rookie wall of, like, the Brad Stevens being able to trust him. Um, I still feel like every time Grant plays, Brad yells at him for some sort of mistake. Uh, but he certainly has earned his playing time now, and I think um, he's an option, And I, which is, I think is, like, the best he can hope for at this point. I don't think he's, like, going to be a go-to guy because of all the things we said, but Brad's not going to be scared to play him in the playoffs because he has proven himself. All right, this is from, uh, at Teddy Ballgame, Teddy Kakoris uh, libraries are in the to- great town Watertown. Uh, my former neighbor with the possibility of Tom Brady and Mookie Betts leaving Boston. Which Celtics player is most likely to fill the void as the face of Boston sports? Who said they're leaving? Possibility
1: with the possibility. The, the first of all, the Mookie Betts thing is so dumb. <laughs> it's really stupid. If you have like a top five player in baseball and you are in one of the biggest biggest markets in baseball and your franchise just prints money. Just pay the man his money. Anyway, uh I'll go with Jason Tatum. He's fourth in jersey sales overall in the entire NBA. I was shocked by that. And people seem to really be drawn to him. So I think and I think he also has a chance to be like really, really, really good at basketball. So I'll go with Jason Tatum as, as the guy. I
0: think it's uh all the things you said and kind of like it feels like as Tatum gets older, he gets more and more comfortable kind of letting his personality out. Like we saw him when he uh was named to the all-star team was like actually more forthcoming with stories and like showed a little bit more personality. So you can kind of see as his game grows and as he becomes more comfortable, I guess with the media, you could totally see him stepping in. I think the only other person would be Jalen Brown but I think Tatum just has such a higher ceiling that like if the Celtics are successful it's going to be because of Tatum and he will be the star so he I'd
1: face I also think there's a chance Boston just falls in love with Kemba during the playoff run like if, if Kemba has a monster playoff run which I think he could he's capable of it it's not promised at all but if he goes out there and just destroys people and he's snarling and and he's talking junk, and Boston's gonna love it. Boston will love themselves from Kemba Walker if if he finds playoff success.
0: Oh, absolutely! They love a little guy who can score, and he just has the ability to drop buckets and put up numbers quickly. And so, um, and like pretty much Boston just likes winners. And so, if the Celtics are successful, they'll be fall in love with like kind of anyone on that team. All right, we're gonna wrap also it taco. Up. Oh, yeah. I mean, Taco already is the face of Boston sports. Taco should replace Gino. Taco is amazing. Uh, But um, we got to wrap it up. So there's one more question. Um, It it actually led to some very serious and important discussion uh, on, on the interwebs today. This is from Nate McKenzie at Circus Jump underscore. The Celtics as Harry Potter characters, who is who? And then he says, Smart is obviously Hermione, but who are the rest? And I know... Uh you had some thoughts on this, so go
1: off King. Smart is not Hermione. <laughs> Hermione is a narc. Hermione is a know it all. Hermione proved her worth, don't get me wrong. She is a hero, a, a legend, Hermione's all the good wizard. Yeah, I mean, she's she's very talented at what she does, but she is she is not Mark. Like that is not Marcus Smart. Marcus Smart is I I said Victor Crum, but I, I don't know about Victor Crum. People reminded me that he went Possible for the Death
0: Eater. Possible Death Eater.
1: People reminded me that he went for the snitch when his team was destined to lose if he got the snitch, and that doesn't sound like that's, Marcus Smart.
0: He does not impact winning. That, I, that, I thought it was a Cedric Diggory. The guy's uh, he's talented. He's good. Self sacrifice. He's uh. He's just doing it all for the for the program, you know. If that feels like a, a stronger connection,
1: yeah. Um, I, I, I any like the other ones.
0: Any other Celtics stick out? Like, I, I was trying to think about it. There's nothing like that's really obvious in terms of uh, direct connections between the world of Harry Potter and Dallas uh, and Celtics basketball. As shocking as it is to say, um, I don't know if did
1: you have any thoughts on the matter? I, I liked th- someone pointed out to me that Ron. The Weasley brothers, not not Ron, but George and Fred, they're Marcus, They have a little Marcus Smart in them too. Like that's true. A little they're bit mischievous. They're mischievous. Like when it came time to really fight for for what they believed in, they were on the front line. Man, those those dudes were. They they weren't scared of anything. They were loyal. They were they were badass. So they, I feel like everyone's got a little bit of market Smart in them. You know, like, like you could probably twist a lot of characters and be like, yeah, that that's a Marcus Smart thing.
0: Okay, who is the most like Hermione then? Because I have an answer, but I'm curious what you would say. The most like Hermione. Lo- what, what What's your answer? I think it's Jalen Brown. At first, he came here. People were a little annoyed by him. He's a bit of a know-it-all, uh, but he's proven himself. He's, he continues to get better over the course. Uh, Hermione displayed a lot of incremental improvements in terms of like, Uh, whether or not we we liked her as a character Um, and so they both kind of fit in that like nerd zone they have a bunch of different interests not just like kind of the thing they're focusing on I think Jalen Brown's a natural natural pick there
1: yeah that 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 makes some sense to me I I like I like the Hermione call for Jalen I'm not calling him a narc don't don't (laughs) don't put those words in my mouth but but I I like I like the Hermione call for Jalen what else we got
0: I don't know, man. Like we can go player by player. Like I don't know. It, it just doesn't mix. Like who would Jason Tatum be? Who would be Death Eaters? I don't think I don't think anyone on the team is it like is a Death Eater. I don't
1: think anyone is inherently uh, evil. I feel like Canther might just go over Ooh. to the Death go over to the Death Eaters like just as a troll. He he does like the attention.
0: Maybe if the Death Eaters were kind of like giving him more more love than the good side was, he would. De- yeah, no, I
1: can see that. Yeah, I'm. I'm not saying he's an evil man. By the way, I'm. I'm just saying, like, we had to pick someone who who'd go to the Death Eaters. Yeah, but, it, would, it would be him. What do you think, Gordon Hayward? Would be Gordon kind of Hayward, quiet guy,
0: family man, talented, many different. Dimensions.
1: I kind of like. I kind of like Ron Weasley for him.
0: Yeah, no. If someone suggested that, I thought it was a good one. He said like, kindly, just kind of just getting better kind of believing in himself as uh as Ron Weasley eventually had to do kind yeah, of like, like he has constantly but, has to prove himself to kind of like uh other stars and the,
1: on the team doesn't always seem to like realize how great he is and how many great things he's done so I, I like Ron Weasley for for Gordon Hayward all right I've I've run out of comparisons
0: do you have any any other Harry Potter Celtics takes because I'm, I'm I'm out who would be Hagrid? Uh, taco?
1: Any sex pants? <laughs> I I don't know who'd be Hagrid, man. Like like I feel like Hagrid was just like a trusted trusted dude. Who he might be? Wanamaker. Wanamaker could be Hagrid. <laughs> like like you don't realize he, how important he is. But he's, he's all there. He's always he's, there. Though. He's always sturdy, always reliable, and and you know you can call on him. Plus, I feel like like Wanamaker would be great with hippogriffs. <laughs> I'm, I'm like still constantly surprised by your Harry Potter
0: fandom. All right, big question Who is Dumbledore? Is it Danny Ainge or is it Brad Stevens?
1: Dumbledore is Brad Stevens. Brad Stevens, for sure. For sure, because he's just like, like, obviously Ainge is wise, but there's like a sarcastic side to Ainge, whereas Brad is just like, the wisdom is all you get. And I feel like he's that's pure
0: wisdom. He He's wisdom forward, just like Dumbledore.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's Dumbledore's role. Like, like he is wisdom.
0: And he's got a lot of plans um, that he doesn't like to tell people about, um, but you know he's like always kind of scheming. And that was kind of the thing about Dumbledore's—he was, he always knew what was going on, but he was not always forthcoming with the information. And I can really—that relates to Brad, especially when it comes to revealing his starting lineups.
1: I—I I think that's that's all fair.
0: All right. I mean, I think that's that's the perfect place. I think to to wrap up here, unless you have got any more burning takes. See that? That's
1: how you have a trade deadline podcast. You just <laughs> deteriorate into Harry Potter chat.
0: Yeah, no, it's. I think we did the perfect amount. It's like a good thirty minutes of a genuine trade deadline talk, and then some nice Harry Potter just to get people in the mood. And so, if that's the type of podcast you like hearing, come back later in the week when we got a second free podcast for you here on this feed. You can get it wherever you listen to podcasts. So however you listen to this, just do that again and subscribe. Rate us five five TARS, five stars, five whatever, whatever the rating system is. Tell a friend uh, about anything is potable because uh, the subscriptions, the ratings, and kind of like that networking does matter to us. We very much appreciate it. Again, if you want to read Jay, go to theathletic.com slash anything is potable. You'll get 40% off. Uh, And thank you for listening. We'll be back later in the week after the trade deadline. We'll be here to break it all down. This has been another episode
1: of ANYTHING IS POTABLE!